This is Charlie Levine, and you're listening to the Angler's Journal podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal magazine. If you're looking for a fishing magazine that's not just full of ads and gear and how-to stuff, but actually tells really cool stories, run on over to anglersjournal.com and check us out and pick up a subscription. Um, Today's guest, I'm really stoked to talk to. Um, You know, it's always interesting to me that fishing crosses all these different lifestyles and demographics and this fella is someone who we featured in the summer issue of angler's journal and um not the traditional uh guy we would we would talk about and just a really cool fella a musician a fly fishing guide a rock star mr chuck reagan how are you today sir i'm doing well charlie thanks for having me bud well, thanks for making time. I know uh, between your your music <laughs> gigs and guiding, uh, it sounds like you're you're grinding all the time. No doubt. Yeah, man, uh, we're run pretty hot around here, and uh, always trying to always trying not to. You know, it's kind of that fine line of you know. I mean, it's my responsibility to just keep my head down and work hard for my family and for our livelihood and being an independent worker and independent contractor, you know, there's, as you probably are well aware of, there's no security in that, you know, like you have to, if you want security for yourself and your family, you got to just put your head down. You got to run and go get it, go find it. And, uh, you know, so in doing that, at the same time sometimes it's very easy to overdo it and to be honest like end up kind of neglecting some of the things in everyday life especially if if you're a family oriented person um it's easy to get sidetracked and you know next thing you know you're stacked up and working nonstop, and uh you know certain things can land on the wayside you know like just everyday simple household chores to actually spend in time with the family that you're working for and towards and uh so i mean yeah for me it's it's a constant um constant run constant struggle and trying to find that balance you know where where everything just keeps rolling, machine keeps going and, you know, prepared for the next day. Well, add to the fact that you're, you know, going on tour with all your music gigs. Um, tell us a little bit about Hot Water Music. Yeah, man, I'm, uh, Hot Water Music's just something that, uh, you know, I'm proud to be a part of. We've been a band. Um, I mean, long story short, you know, we all, everybody in the band started playing together at a pretty young age. Um, and never in a million years did, you know, at that age, all we just wanted to turn up and rip it and, you know, just have a blast and, and use music as, as an expression, you know, to get stuff off our chest, you know, as our own therapy. Um, never in a million years did we understand or realize that what we were doing was basically laying the bricks, you know, for an early foundation of what would become a lifelong music career. Uh, You know, of course we said it, we always said, man, I just want to play music forever. But, you know, I mean, when you're, 17 18 19 years old you know sometimes it's hard to see past the following year less 28 years so this year hot water music uh, we're we just turned 28 years old as a band and uh yeah it's it's wild i feel incredibly lucky uh to be a part of that family and i call it a family because you know we 
we are, we love each other like brothers. We also fight like brothers. And, uh, you know, over the years, we have been pretty blessed to, I mean, we've worked hard and we've sacrificed a ton to do, to be where we are. Uh, but in the course of it, we were also invited into music communities and, you know, neighborhoods and other families or homes of, you know, friends that ended up becoming lifelong friends all over the world. And uh, over the years, hot water music has become so much greater than just a few guys in a band, you know? I mean, like it is to us, it was just something that we ended up, we had a passion for. We never really separated ourselves from the crowd. We wanted it, it was just something we wanted to share with people and uh and do it you know together and uh yeah for us um you know we learned a lot along the way and still learning a lot uh but we just released a new record on equal vision records called feel the void and um yeah i mean we're pretty proud of it you know we had a blast doing it and we're already kind of scheming for you know, because nowadays when we book everything we're doing and booking is so far in advance um, in our lives, whether it's guiding or, or you know, family stuff or, or music. Um, but we're already 30 year anniversaries just right around the corner. That's wild, know? man. Yeah. So to, to step back a little bit, you know, we in the story, it was written by one of our contributors, John Cohen, and you, you went fishing with John. And he's a big music buff. And, you know, for our listeners out there who aren't familiar with Hot Water, it's a back in the day, especially when you started in the early 90s, it was like a raging, lots of energy, you know, thrashing around, you know, alt rock, I, I don't know, punk influence. It was intense stuff, man. You, you guys really put your whole being into those performances. And it was yeah. Super cool to me to to go down this rabbit hole and see these pictures of you in the 90s and, you know, watch these videos. You guys were and still are, you know, living it hardcore. But yeah, trying, you know, set. problem is like my mind is still, you know, night when I get on that stage and sing some of those songs, you know, that we wrote when we were in our early 20s or late teens, early 20s. Um, you know, my mind goes back there and then that kind of transfers to my body. Well, my body's, my body's sound like a 47 year old, even though my mind wants to, you know, so it's, it's, it's super fun, but kind of comical and ridiculous at the same time that I, you know, I jump up there and sometimes I'm literally hobbling off the stage and, you know, it's, not near as much partying as there used to be you know nowadays it's like get off that stage and i'm looking forward to you know a handful of advil and an epsom salt bath <laughs> well <laughs> and you know your 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 solo stuff is is not that it's definitely more acoustic and your voice just works so well with that guitar and you know it's oh. been fun discovering your music uh I guess I first sort of got into it when you were in the fly fishing film tour a few years back Costa and you put out a really cool movie and it showed you out on the road. And I thought it was interesting that you would like find a way to go fishing in between gigs. Um, just, yeah. just making the most of it. Oh yeah. Yeah. That film land sick, uh, that was done by our buddies, uh, uh, Matt Devlin, uh, who does the Montana Fly Fishing Film Festival, and uh, and Pete Vandergrift, and Pete Pete was with Costa at the time, and I was actually doing a little uh, just solo run fishing mission. It wasn't long, but my whole plan was just to go play shows, fish every single river I could fish, um, as far as location goes. I live in Northern California. So the plan was just to run up North fish in Idaho, Montana, BC, and, uh, 
it was kind of wild. It was a short run, but I fish like nine rivers in seven days. And uh, it seemed and played and played seven shows. And uh, it seemed like a great idea <laughs> on paper. And then uh, I never really accounted for, you know, sleeping. Um, and, you know, after a few days, I found myself in a real kind of rough spot where because I mean we were I was meeting buddies or meeting friends or other guides uh you know that I had set something up um and it started out with just you know a few a few fishing excursions set up it turned into a kind of an everyday thing uh and you know I would make it make it to the boat ramp or or the bank somewhere early we'd get out, we'd hit it hard. I would, you know, run to the show, uh, you know, in the, in the evening, afternoon, usually skipping the sound check, uh, because that's when I could, when I, the only time I had to drive, um, and, uh, play the show up late and then knock out, just coffee up, knock out a, a few hours, um, after the show sleep on the side of the road you know make it to the next boat ramp and uh and uh yeah it 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 just about that one that one was a little bit uh stacked up a little too stacked up <laughs> but i had a blast and sure. uh but on that trip i remember i think it was after i i fished and played up in fernie British Columbia and then I made it down oh no I went from Fernie to to Rossland after Rossland and made it down to Missoula and met up with Pete and Matt and you know was just crashed in my truck you know on the bank of the river when they pulled up and that's yeah. in the film <laughs> where they like tap on the glass and you're like yeah. oh <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's a common <laughs> <laughs> if i can i can that's one thing that Torin kind of has done and uh it's kind of a blessing and a curse but i've kind of my body is kind of trained itself to be able to sleep anywhere no matter what the noise or movement or anything if i need to grab a 15 minute combat nap and somehow somehow trick my mind that it's going to feel like four hours of sleep i'll do i can do that you know wow. uh drive crazy because sometimes you know i sit down and i'm asleep in a 30 seconds you know <laughs> well I'm it was so your upbringing it sounds like you kind of grew up all over the place and you know if i'm reading this right your mom was a, a ventriloquist and yeah. was a performer well, and your dad was a golf pro so that's that's that's, that's different. right. That's very different. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my family has a long history of uh, kind of strange, strange occupations and uh, the majority of it, you know, um, even, even all, all of our, you know, my siblings and uh, you know, a lot of people in my family, not many of us uh, have punched too many clocks so to speak you know everybody's had a handful of for lack of a better term norm normal job but for the most part um everybody's been some type of independent worker um or has kind of carved their own path one way or the other um but yeah my uh my mom you know, grew up in entertainment, traveling in evangelism. It's the only job really she's ever had um, as a ventriloquist, you know, comedian, singer. Uh, she And she still does it. We're trying to get her to slow down and just, you know, take it easy, spend more time with the grandkids. But she's still, she's a, she's a hard charging woman. And, um, you know, I probably get a lot of my work ethic um, and what I do through her. My dad, my dad was a pro golfer and he was, you know, 
in in a lot of people's eyes and definitely my eyes i mean he was one of the greats you know his heyday was uh you know where he was really hitting it hard with late 50s all through the 60s um he was uh on the u.s Ryder cup team he was a Ryder cup team player wow uh, three played the pga tour for 14 years and you know was neck and neck with with all the big all the big dog he was a big dog That's you know so back cool. in those days um you and know and were they into the outdoors as well 100 percent, yeah and they couldn't have what's funny i look back and think about both of their personalities where they where they came from where they grew up uh they were very came from very different worlds um my dad was a florida boy daytona boy uh, you know, his folks, uh, my grandparents on his side, they lived right on the, on the intercoastal Daytona, Daytona beach. Um, my granddad loved to, loved to fish. Uh, we did a lot of fishing with him and, and it was nice to have the, you know, when we'd go visit them, uh, have that opportunity right out the backyard, uh, you know, on the intercoastal. My dad, <clears throat> he loved salt water for sure but his passion man he was all about bass and okay. uh, i've i always thought that if he wasn't a pro golfer he probably would have been a pro bass fisherman you know he was all about it and then my mama uh on on hers on that side of the family my mama and papa we're we're all cajun folks my Mama and Papa were uh, rice farmers for a while. My Papa, I mean, they just, they lived off the land, out of their garden and off the, off the rivers and the lakes and the bayous. And, and um, there was, you know, growing up, you know, they worked on ranches. They worked in a lot of different areas uh, where we had all kinds of opportunity um, uh, opportunities of of growing up very very lucky very blessed we didn't know how good we had it you know sure. um in uh for you know hunting deer turkey pigs you know fishing of course um it was a a huge huge part of our life and and my mama i mean you know she you know she just grew up you know more or less uh you know, pretty outdoorsy tomboy, you know, well, that's, uh, she, that's she cool. mom, mom was the first one who, you know, taught us how to clean fish, you know, and uh, some early memories there. Um, but yeah, it was kind of wild, like my mom. So my mom came from just that, you know, down and down and dirty Cajun, you know, <laughs> living and my dad came from this just very well-groomed Florida you know he went to the golf course when he was eight years old and never really left you know okay uh, well and I would think you know reading the story it sounds like you were a rebellious teenager and skateboarding and you know probably partying and stuff and mm -hmm. but, but you always kept fishing and then did that kind of help keep you grounded Oh yeah. I mean, always like there's, there was many times in my life where, you know, angling would kind of come in, in and out of my life. It was always there. And, uh, you know, when I look back at everything, uh, it's been there for me through, through all of it, you know, it's some of my earliest memories and, you know, I'm, it, you know, there were times where we were just hitting the road constantly touring, you know, but uh, I would get out when I when I could, you know, a while when when I uh, really got into skateboarding at a young age and thought that that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, you know, there were definitely moments where I would uh, find myself in and in and out of fishing uh but it was always there you know we would always end up back at mama and papa's fishing on the blanco or 
at my grandparents on the intercoastal. Um, my family, we moved around a lot due to my dad's being a pro. When he quit playing the tour, he would just get different uh, club jobs as a club pro or he would, uh, you know, down in Louisiana, he was a head golf coach for Raging Cajuns uh, for a while. But we ended up, I was born in Texas and we went from Texas to Lilburn, Georgia, to Chattanooga, Tennessee, down to Lafayette, Indiana, and then from there down to Sarasota. Um, and then I was in Sarasota on the Gulf there <clears throat> until I left home uh, as a young man. And, and when I left home, I went up to Gainesville, Florida. That's when Hot Water Music started. Um, and then uh, was there for a bit, went and then ended up down in Micanopy, which wasn't far from Gainesville. Um, I live in that area. I've never even heard of that, Micanopy. <laughs> but Gainesville is a cool town, especially back then. Well, Micanopy uh, is right in between Ocala and Gainesville. Oh, okay. And it's, there's lots of good water around there, fresh and salt. I mean, we, we felt so lucky when we were there. Uh, I was going through a tough time at one point in, you know, in some years. And um, this wonderful family, the Street family, uh, my brother Kip Street and his family, they took me in um, and helped them build their home and uh lived above the cabinet shop for a few years and and just you know learned a lot about woodworking learned a lot about i mean kipper's probably one of the fishiest dudes i've ever known in my life you know How cool. and, and when we were there uh you know it, it was there was just a lot of building a lot of fishing you know and all between all between tours you know and uh but we, yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful time to be there. And, and, uh, you know, what's cool about that zone is either coast is, you know, an hour in either direction. Um, you know, when we lived there kind of, you know, some of our stomping grounds were out by, you know, Cedar Key, Shell Mound, you know, the Swanee, of course, or, or we had run over to, uh, uh, to the other coast fish around Matanzas and, you know, some of those zones. Um, and then of course, like all that amazing fresh water, you know, that was just everywhere. Yeah. So, Big Cypress. It's beautiful back there. Oh man. It was a really, for, for an angler, for a hunter or fisherman, like, I, I mean that there's not many places like that on the planet to me. Like it's just paradise. And, you know, I know you, you write the majority of the songs too. And, and does all that influence your songwriting? Just, you know, whether you're writing about fishing or just getting in that quiet space and finding a place to write, is that how that works? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, for my stuff, yeah, I write all the songs nowadays, trying to, trying to bring some other buddies in just to write with me. Hot Water Music, all four of us write uh, okay. or five really you know and just kind of compile stuff but when it comes to you know when it comes to lyrics and and uh or or just simple inspiration there is a ton of stuff that comes you know on some of those early morning runs or you know running the running the boat and <laughs> you know here just hearing the rhythm or the sound of the the engine going or you know i mean i hear music and everything around us um in the wildlife you know here in here in the cadence of you know the birds and whatnot like you know if if you listen man it, it's it's all there it's all out there and um you know to me beautiful to me it, it just is uh yeah it's it's just part of who I am it's where I feel closest to you know uh mother nature or higher power you know god whatever whatever anybody would like to call it that's that's where I find peace and um that's where I find a ton of inspiration for sure 
I bet. Yeah. You know, me as well. It's I've always, you know, I'm not super religious, but that's kind of my church is just getting out, whether it's a pond or an ocean or whatever, just put my body next to some moving water and and I'm at, <laughs> at ease. Uh, that's a cool thing. There was, um, and so some of your bandmates, it sounds like these, these outdoorsman skills you had came in handy when you were on the tour, which was mentioned in the article as well. And I wanted to read this quote uh, from, I guess, one of your colleagues, Christina White, uh, who worked with you at Hot Water Music. And she yeah. said, uh, if we were hungry on tour, Chuck would feed us. If we were cold, he could build a fire. He could open a <laughs> bottle of wine about 50, 50 different ways that would make MacGyver blush. He was quick with a good story steeped in bayou folklore. I remember him telling tales of fishing with his pawpaw as a child. I thought that was really cool. Oh, that is cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, shoot, you know, we, I mean, I don't, I don't recall doing anything uh, groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, they said too, there was like one time, I think you were in Southern California and I guess you went fishing and made everybody ceviche and it like blew their minds. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I do like ceviche. <laughs> yeah no yeah that's a good way to do it and it was fun for me in reading this article you know to see bands like the bad brains mentioned in angler's journal i was like oh this is pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> but you said they were one of your influences as a kid oh man yeah i mean there was a ton there was a ton of stuff you know when i when i found i mean i i would say the first time i kind of found uh let's say like an alternative lifestyle or alternative music, you know, and, or, or at least different music than what I had grown up with, because what I'd grown up with at the time. And as far as age goes, I'm talking like, you know, 10, 11 years old ish. Um, you know, in my family, if it wasn't Cajun music, it was, you know, bluegrass or a little country, definitely a ton of gospel and hymns, you know, grew up in the church, uh, you know, with my family. And, uh, and then I found, uh, you know, freestyling and BMX, right. And there was a bunch of, bunch of kids in the neighborhood who were getting into, you know, riding bikes or whatnot. And, and I remember a kid showed up one day with boombox, you know, and had some tapes. And uh, it was the first time I'd heard, you know, any kind of music other than, you know, what you would hear with your family or what you would hear on the radio somewhere, hmm. you know. And uh, after that, I found skateboarding. Uh, when we moved to Lafayette, Louisiana, um, had a bunch of friends. Some of them had ramps, you know, and have memories of going to the ramp with all the buds, you know, and uh, and learning how to ride transition. And and there was the boombox, you know, and there was a pile of tapes. And it was the first time I heard, you know, Metallica or you know, bad brains or minor threat, you know, all some of these. And then, you know, kind of fast forward uh, a couple years down the way. And I, I remember, you know, friends used to make me tapes and uh, give me blank tapes and whatnot. And, uh, and I would hear you know hear this music and most of the time I didn't even know who was on the tape you know and and then uh my mom would find it usually throw it in the trash you know destroy the tape and then year you know sometime later we would be somewhere and I would hear hear some music playing oh I know this I used to have this on a tape and then somebody would tell me oh yeah that's GBA that's the germs or, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of where a lot of that music stemmed from. And now yeah. here you are settled in this beautiful part of California, fly fishing all the time and hanging out with your wife and your boy. 
um, it's like quite a road <laughs> from there to to where oh, you're at now yeah no doubt <laughs> so yeah. i guess to talk I, we should talk about fishing since anglers journal magazine and um <laughs> what what rivers are you fishing and it sounds like you do it a lot mostly fly fishing now and you have this float and fly technique can you tell us a little about that yeah um yeah i mean in short uh i work nowadays i'm mostly mostly in rivers um but uh you know there are we we're surrounded by water up here i'm in northern california uh somewhat in between sacramento and lake tahoe we're in we're in the foothills of the sierras uh in an area that is known or a lot of people called called gold country um uh this was this was a huge area back in the gold rush days a uh, lot of gold came out of this area still does um and uh yeah but we're surrounded by surrounded by a lot of rivers um and we have a really really diverse uh uh, a, amount, a, a huge amount of diversity in our, in our fisheries. Um, in some of our rivers, just to give you an example on the species, uh, we have more or less a mix of resident populations of different species, as well as migratory anadromous fish that come in and out of the system, right? My zones, my, I fish you know, uh, the Yuba River is my in my basically in my backyard. The Yuba, the Feather River, uh, and the Sacramento are the three rivers that I focus on. And then we have a number, a ton of foothill lakes. And, you know, there's probably, oh, there's probably 12 different ones that I like to fish, but, you know, I kind of more so focus on just a few of them uh and they're all a little bit different you know um but for my in the guide business to do it the way that i like to do it which is to always have an option always have uh you know something to do because our at times our rivers do blow out where they can be unfishable you know sometimes for a couple of weeks, sometimes for a couple of months or a few months, if we get a major event, you know, major event as in, you know, a massive snowfall followed by a warm, uh, low storm, uh, you know, rainstorm, that is where it rains up high. So you kind of get a double whammy of, you know, all the rain coming down from the sky, melting all that fresh snow and it could blow out all those rivers, right? So to me, to, to keep this, you know, my guide business um, is a, it's a year round endeavor. Uh, there's no slow season, there's no off season, um, you know, and that kind of goes back to our original uh, conversation about finding that balance and not getting myself in a position where I'm just, working seven days a week you know all year long right yeah. um but you know for me uh in our area uh to have the option to do whatever i want i need to have a number of different boats so like i you know i run i operate out of three different types of boats um you know more or less it's i have a drift boat and then two different sized jet boats <clears throat> and Those jet boats uh, are pretty cool they're, they're pictured in the magazine yeah they're 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 a lot of fun i mean i'll be honest with you uh other than running skinny there's nothing good about having a jet like, <laughs> like nothing you burn more fuel it's more expensive to maintain uh you know the the it's going slow it steers terrible uh there's a, a, no reverse uh they're louder um there's nothing good about them <laughs> <laughs> i've never spent any time on one maybe that's yeah. why i was like oh that's cool yeah but you know i mean there's there's some there's some stuff where you know we're running over 
three inches of water over a gravel bar for a hundred yards, okay. you know, and, and uh, that would eat, a, eat up a prop pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, and, and you got to do it at full speed, you know, like you only run shallow going as fast as you possibly can go. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to run. Um, you know, it's a little hair raising at times, uh, but where I work, um, I can't be without it, you know, gotta have, it. uh, but anyhow, yeah. So I chase, I mostly chase, uh, bass, uh, striped bass, um, and, uh, trout and steelhead, you know, there are certain times a year we get, uh, migratory, we get American shad that run up. Uh, a lot of anglers in this area love that game. They love that program. Um, you know, so there'll be a, a window out of, out of the year uh, that I'll be on the shad. Uh, but for the most part, uh, striper, steelhead, spotted bass. Yeah. yeah. And so when did you get into fly fishing, Chuck? It sounds like you first started as just a, you know, conventional angler. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, those are some of my earliest memories and, and, uh, you know, the whole family fish, it was nothing, there was no, I, I mean, it didn't even feel like any kind of sport or was never looked at that way. It's just what we did, you know, um, we were all, we, and we killed everything. <laughs> we ate everything. Um, uh, and I don't know, it was probably about, uh, some years ago my brother um my brother was the first person who i mean i'd known about fly fishing but it was just never around it was never really around us you know at least you know that that we noticed um and you know we were all comfortable and confident in what we had going on we had no no reason to change anything up um and it was my brother who you know, at one point, and he's, he's, he's fishy, my brother, Paul Reagan, he's just a hunting, fishing fool, and, and, uh, and just the kind of dude that's just great at anything he does, just about, you know, and, and uh, he was the first person, he sent me a shoebox full of material, and this little vice, and a fly rod, and he was living in Colorado at the time, and he was talking about how cool it was to, to tie your own flies and go catch fish off of these flies that imitate, you know, aquatic insects. And uh, I thought it was cool. You know, I dabbled with it for a little bit. But again, you know, uh, everything I was doing was working just fine. So I, it, and not having anybody around me to show anything, show me anything. Um, it, it took a minute to, to find the, find the lure in it, you know, to find the, find the magic or to find the reason that people love getting into flight. Yeah, so he sent me he sent me that vice and material, and I dabbled a little bit. I messed with the fly rod, and uh, and then you know, but it wasn't really around me that much. And it wasn't until I moved up here to the foothills, where all of a sudden, you know, there's a fly shop down the road. Um, I started seeing. I would I was going out exploring on the lakes and the rivers and i just started seeing more of it around a lot of it um especially on the rivers and just thought huh i guess this is a, a thing here you know um and and then i just kind of i mean i just dove in heavy um you know and uh and even then i mean i feel like you know, we've been in this area for 16 years or so. And, uh, I feel like that, uh, it even took me, it took me a handful of years to even figure out, uh, you know, the potential and what I had around me, you know, um, at the time, uh, when we moved, I didn't have, all I had was just a, 
a canoe. So I was pretty limited on, uh, you know, how far I could go uh, and what I could get into till, uh, you know, I finally just got a little, little stump knocker and, uh, you know, started pushing around, exploring more. And, um, you know, early on, I used to, when I was getting into the fly rod, um, man, I, I, I remember going on, on the, the bass, the, some of the foothill lakes, the bass lakes, and I would just throw a little, little trout pattern, uh, little, little Rapala, you know, and I, I would have a fly rod sitting there with the streamer and, uh, Rapala just on a spin reel and I would throw that and just and wind wind fast along the walls and I would pull pull these smallmouth and these spotted bass out of the out of the rocks and pull that in do the old bait and switch and then throw a fly at them ah, <laughs> like, that's clever and, and it was it was a lot of fun and uh it was kind of the first time that I, I really started getting like, oh, okay, I see, I see the difference now, you know, and I had buddies around, you know, Matt Coles, uh, he runs a, an outfit called Gilligan's Guide Service out of Truckee. Uh, he taught me, he taught me a few things, uh, or taught me a lot, uh, to be honest, uh, early on, you know, where I was going out and I'm going, man, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm seeing fish everywhere. I'm trying it, you know, I'm just not getting them. And he was the first dude that was like, man, go get you a number 16 copper John, put that thing on and, you know, just send it over into the mix of them. And, and, uh, you know, I started picking up little bits of knowledge and information here and there and, um, and was just, you know, in it in it to win it and just non-stop after that uh and then fast forward down the road a little bit i met uh, hogan brown who invited me into his world in guiding uh, for cast hope uh for the kids and and whatnot and uh and also also turned me on and showed me showed me a lot uh with targeting the river striper that we have in our, our area. And that has probably become, you know, targeting these, these big river striper um, on a fly rod has probably become one of my favorite things to do on the planet when it comes to angling. Um, you know, these fish, they grow real big, um, you know, and when you're fishing to them in, fast current in buckets really risky stuff there's tree snags everywhere um you know these fish are humbling to say mm -hmm. and, and when you're getting them on a fly rod and we'll we'll fish them conventionally too you know uh, a, a pretty popular thing in our area is throwing big glide baits swim baits um at them uh you know and when you're when you're fishing that method, I mean, those glide baits, most of them have two big old treble hooks on them. You're fishing, you know, anywhere from 30 pound test to, you know, 60 to 80 pound braid, you know what I mean? Um, Heavy stuff. Real, you know, when you're fly fishing for them, um, man, you're fishing a, 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 you know, a looser rod. Uh, you're, you have a single hook fly. You know, we throw big clousers, uh, big clouser minnows that we tie. Um, but essentially, you're hand lining. I mean, that's that's what it is. And that's when, like, I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to explain. Like, I was, I'm, I'm bit with that something fierce, you know, uh, well, when you... Well I have to ask. So in that video, in the, in the Landstick video, um, it shows you striper fishing in Montauk, I think, or somewhere in Long Island. How does yeah. it, because that's where I grew up. I grew up catching stripers in Connecticut, Long Island Sound. How do these river fish compare to the saltwater version, the OG? Yeah. 
that's a that's a great question uh i mean there's a lot of similarities i think you know um just to give some people uh, just a hint of history uh that's where these striper came from you know striper were introduced in the state of california about 143 144 years ago now um brought over by train uh as as i've heard in barrels yeah, um that's a crazy story you know how they, I mean, just to think of that trek back yeah. in the 1800s and how they kept those fish alive. It's crazy. Uh, you know, from your area all the way to the bay out here. Um, and then also, as I've heard, which is pretty amazing, um, the number of fish in the original plant, in the original introduction was 66 fish. And there weren't hardly any after that until, you know, uh, the the 90s, where, you know, there was kind of a stocking program that put was put together. But yeah, our entire population was built on 66 fish brought over on a train in a whiskey barrel, you know, and uh, who knows how many they originally loaded, I'm sure. If I was if I was in that car, you know, keeping them alive, I'm sure I'd be eating them. Eating them <laughs> That's a long train ride back in the day, you know. <laughs> That's a long ride, but no, uh, it's pretty remarkable. But, so we have, you know, in Northern California now, we have a mix of migratory and resident striper, and uh, you know, we do have migratory fish that run out to the salt and, and their, their characteristics are exactly how these East Coast, I mean, that's, that's what they are. You know, these are saltwater fish that come into the estuary, uh, into the Delta from there, you know, every spring. Um, and they migrate up into the rivers to spawn. Uh, they're up in the river system for a while, and then they they head out over the years um you know what we've you know with the information that we have uh over the years there's been a lot of fish that have decided river was home you know and had uh basically taken up residency in the river and yeah. sounds a lot like the chesapeake down you know yep. on the east coast or the, the sure. hudson valley a hundred percent. So, and we only know this because you talk to some of the, some of the old timers where, you know, years and years ago, they only fish for striper in the river, uh, in the springtime, you know, March, April. Right. Um, and then, you know, fast forward a few years later and they're catching them in May or June. And then a few more years later and they're catching them into the summer months. And then they're getting them into the winter months, you know, all the way back around the spring where they then see another big push of migratory fit. So it was clear that, you know, at some point, you know, Striper said, hey, you know, this this water right here has everything I need. It's got constant, clear, you know, clean water, constant food source. Um, you know, I have... I have fish coming up to spawn with me, you know, so, you know, we, we started, uh, we see a lot of, a lot of, you know, big females, you know, especially like in the, in the summer, in the fall, and even into the cold water winter months, where, you know, years ago, uh, you know, no one ever really saw, but, you know, then again, who knows, you know, maybe people just weren't fishing for them either. You know, you never know that, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge passion of mine. They grow big in the rivers, you know, I mean, big, when I'm talking big, I'm talking, you know, 30 to 50 pounders, yeah. uh, fishing game have shocked up, you know, fishing game has shocked up, you know, 60, 60 pounders, 60 Whoa. plus pounders. So, I mean, these are true giants, you oh, know, that's so and, cool. And getting them on a fly rod is, um, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, it's, it's pretty humbling. And uh, the way that we do it, it's 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's work, you know, um, there's, there's just a, a lot of casting, a lot of stripping and sometimes they're chewing and, you know, if they're chewing and you're doing all that casting and all, all the catching, um, it can, it can wear your ass out in a minute, you know? <laughs> now do most of your clients know about your music background and, you know, bug you to play songs or or <laughs> tickets or something or are they are they just sort of you know i heard you're a good guide and i just want to go fishing yeah yeah most of them have no clue about the music stuff the majority of them um every once in a while you know i mean i do get a lot of out-of-state clients you know there's a lot of people who travel you know to come do the uh do the striper game with us or to, you know, learn about the float and fly method that you've, you mentioned, uh, or just fish some Western rivers, you know, there are people looking for different species and, uh, a different game. And, and, and for the most part, like, uh, yeah, people don't know anything about the music or at least the majority of my clients. Um, but I do every once in a while get, people who are just true diehard fans um and some of them are fishy some of them show up and they know the program and they can they can throw and they can do the they can do the dance and all and and uh and some of them show up and they don't know the first thing i mean some of them never held a fly rod or even a rod period in their life you know have never fished um they just want to come and and see what it's all about and you know i love i love that i mean i'm honored that you know they're they're you know taking the time and spending the time the money the energy to come out and and give it a shot give me a shot you know uh, it's so cool man of many skills <laughs> well it's just you really <laughs> Man, it's it's been so nice to talk with you, Chuck. I really appreciate you taking the time. And as I mentioned, the stories in our summer 2022 issue of Angler's Journal, if anybody yeah. wants to go check that out. And um, do you guys have any gigs coming up we can mention? Or? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, Hot Water Music. Uh, I have, I've got shows uh, next Saturday and Sunday uh, in Folsom, California. And then a festival, whiskey festival in Mammoth called Rock and Rye. Um, and then after that, September, Hot Water has a couple makeup shows in uh, Winnipeg and Vancouver. Uh, we're doing, this is mid-September now, uh, we're doing uh, Portland, Seattle. We have some Pacific Northwest.